I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. So how is it possible that uh, circle back Jen Paskey, Saki, I should know that I'm married to a Greek girl, Saki, uh, circle back Jen Psaki, uh, who is uh, Grampy Joe Bajan Biden's press secretary. She didn't receive a single question during today's press conference about the 800 pages of Dr. Fauci's emails today. Not one, not one. Did you hear about this? About 800 pages of leaked emails from Dr. Anthony Fauci were released today and she didn't receive a single question. What? How is that possible? So based on the emails, we know that Fauci suspected the virus may have been man-made. We know that he doesn't believe masks are effective. And we and we know that at, at least at one point, he believed that hydroxychloroquine was likely effective to combat COVID-19. And also, what else do we know about Dr. Anthony Fauci and his emails? We know that he had a rather cozy relationship with his counterpart in communist China. And yet, I repeat, not a single question from the lackey lapdogs in the White House press corps. Hmm. And uh, as far as I can tell, not, not, nothing really said much up here in Kanakistan either. Except on this radio station, of course. How do you like your mainstream media now? And uh, besides that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? How was your Wednesday afternoon? So uh, if you missed the news, your children will not be returning to school for the remainder of the school year. That announcement just came down from Premier Doug Ford, who says the risk of infection in our schools is just too great. Wait a second. He's going against the advice of the province's top doctors, numerous public health officials, and scientists. Didn't he say ignoring the advice of these people would be political suicide like a couple of months ago? Remember that? He actually said it out loud. 
reminded me of George Bush uh, Jr. there. Oh, um, I used my outside voice when I should have used my inside voice. So I guess basically he's just he's listening to the teachers unions. And he went on to say that students will be able to return to the classroom in September when all teachers and education workers will be fully vaccinated. So the children in this province effectively have lost a year of their schooling. We know and the gaps in the in, in the, the education were just tremendous, tremendous. The year was a wash, academically speaking. And uh, the mental health costs, well, we've talked about those many times, incalculable at this point. I hope people, I just hope and pray that people remember this in 2022 when it comes time for the next provincial election. What a colossal clown show. And uh, when I say clowns, I guess I'm talking about the crying on the inside clowns, the John Wayne Gacy kind of clown. It turns out Canada spent $642 billion on pandemic initiatives this according to a new report, that's about one and a half billion dollars per day. And uh, this is more, incidentally, this is more than we spent during World War II, six years of World War II. And what do we have to show for it? What do we have to show for $642 billion? Well, you can insert your own joke there. Aaron Woodrick from the McDonald Laurier Institute, one of the co-authors of the study will be here to discuss in about 15 minutes. And we'll hear some wise words from one of my favorite philosophers slash stand-up comedians, George Carlin. He will, will, will hear him from beyond the grave. He passed away uh, over 13 years ago or just coming up on 13 years, actually. Uh, but he, uh, I found this clip on YouTube. He's talking about germs and viruses and our willingness to trade freedom for security. It's if, it's if he was speaking to us today. So prescient was he back in, uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, what else? Oh, the uh, the head of Google's diversity program. This is rich. OK, he's the head of Google's diversity program. Turns out he's an anti-Semite. Go figure. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. And uh, yet a stu- we're lost all sorts of studies and reports on today's program. A new study from a French physicist who examined ice core records. Right. They drill down into the Arctic ice. And uh, these ice core records, they go back 420,000 years. And uh, what he found out, well, has put yet another nail in the coffin of the man-made global warming narrative. Tony Heller from RealClientScience.com will be here a little bit later as we push back against climate change alarmism. Uh, The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is back in court today attempting to get a judge to overturn the federal government's ridiculous mandatory hotel quarantine requirement. And uh, that group's litigation director, Jay Cameron, will join me an hour or two. I have a niece. She came back uh, from overseas, had to quarantine, but she got her test. She was negative before she flew back to Canada. Of course, that's not good enough. So she flies back. And what they make you do now is they make you book your, your quarantine stay before you get on the plane and it's non-refundable. And she had to pay for three days. It was like, I don't know, $1,300. So she gets back and, and she does the test. She gets it back within 13 hours. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. But she still has to pay the full freight on the hotel. So she just stayed in the hotel and enjoyed the food, such as it was, for those uh, for those three days to get her money's worth. I mean, how ridiculous is this? Uh, what else? Oh, Linda Blade. Linda Blade from Cause Bar. This is the Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights uh, Group. She was with us a few weeks ago. She's also president of Athletics Alberta, and she's the co-author of a new book called Unsporting, How Team Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. And this is a discussion uh, many, if not most of my colleagues in the, in the mainstream media, just they seem absolutely terrified of. They will not touch it with a 10 foot pole and uh, they'll not talk about it. They won't uh, they won't even have Linda Blade on their program. So but we will. We push back on this show. Damn the consequences. You hear that, Lou? Damn the consequences. Well, that's good, Richard. Somebody's got to, you know, stand up and. You know, tell it like it is. I think that's a valuable service that you provide. Well, and it's a, it's an important discussion that we have to have. You know, I think this is this is is very damaging to to women's sports. When you have oh, I, biological I males. I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I asked my daughter, who's a uh, figure skater, a woman figure skater. I said, "So, how would you feel if some guy transitioned from being a male?" to a female and started competing against you and your uh, confreres, uh, you know, uh, and taking advantage of the fact that he wasn't really that competitive with men, but he was very competitive with women, throwing quads and that sort of thing. Right, right. She didn't have an answer. She's politically, you know, politically correct. I think you gave her something to think about, though, no doubt. Well, so, I know I was thinking about it. Of course, you're always thinking, Lou. Now, you had an actually kind of an interesting, uh, do you remember we talked about this before? You had an interesting solution to this. Do you remember that? What, their own category of sports? Yeah, basically, right. Yeah, no, why not? The Transition Sports Association, right? Right. Yeah, get seems, at it. Seems like a simple solution to me, a simple fix. Yeah, anyway. I, you know, I mean, it's kind of like I was reading this, uh, there was a call for nominations for women leaders, but it was not just women but it was for persons who identify as women. Right. I said, come so, on. What are you so going to automatically give it to Trudeau? <laughs> there you go. All right. Time for a little German phrase of the day, Lou. Bring it on, baby. All right. Jody, <laughs> All right. The German phrase of the day is Ken Schwenwein. Sorry, let me try that again. I almost tripped over my uh, leader, leader hose in here. Ken Schweinwarda. Ken Schweinwarda. You know what that means? Well, I know Schwein. Right?
and it ended up being 360 billion federally. So it is that part of it is a function of the fact the pandemic has dragged on. Uh, but the reason these numbers are also larger than what a lot of people have seen in the news is because it has added in the provinces. The federal government has definitely shouldered a, a, a heavier chunk of the burden in terms of borrowing and spending. Uh, but when you add in the provinces as well, you can see it's it's really about double uh, what the federal number is. And this this uh, do we know whether this kind of spending is can be attributed or the the, the rise in in prices of certain consumer goods, particularly lumber, housing? Uh, is this inflation being fueled by this kind of spending? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to prove causality, but there's a strong argument that that's what's happening. I mean, if you look at things like the real estate market, everybody knows that house prices are going absolutely insane. Um, it's not a stretch to think that the rise in lumber prices have to do with demand. And part of that demand is being fueled by the fact that a lot of people have more money. Look, there's no question the government had to give out some supports. I don't think anybody's saying they shouldn't have done that. But a lot of this money it's shown has gone, it actually just went into the bank accounts of people who were still doing just fine. You had people who kept their jobs, uh, but had lower costs, couldn't travel, couldn't spend on other stuff. And they have done things like spend more money on housing um, and a few other areas. And, and you're seeing prices in those, uh, in those industries rise uh, accordingly. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being overly facetious here, but what else do we have to show for this this money being spent? Yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, it's a, it was essentially life support. And, you know, some of these programs, again, we're seeing now they, they were imperfect. Uh, I don't want to be too critical because they did have to design some of these programs literally in a matter of a day or two when normally programs of these size take years, you know, if not months to develop. But I do think People are right to question, you know, whether the government moved quick enough to, for example, turn off the taps on certain programs when it became quite clear that there was fraud, there was abuse, you know, whether it was individuals or whether it was businesses that really didn't need the money. We're essentially taking it and then turning around and giving bonuses to executives and uh, dividends to shareholders. Right. Well, uh, Air Canada, uh, for example, their executives got a $10 million bonus and, uh, you know, after we basically bailed them out yet again. Yeah, it's a terrible look. And look, they, the government put strings attached on the go forward. This, that those previous bonuses came before they got their bailout. But it really does show, and I, I'm not sure that everyone in the business world appreciates this, that it's a bad look. And the public is not going to be too impressed. I mean, if you're a small business and you need a loan to stay, keep the lights on, I don't think anybody begrudges you that. But if you're a very profitable, large corporation and you're taking millions of dollars in money that you don't actually need... Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, that's that's a very bad luck to them. And so this uh, this study looked at uh, March 2020 to April 2021. You came up with that 624 billion. What what is the what are the government's commitments? Uh, you know, going forward for 2021, do we do we know? Yeah, it's slightly less. And I mean, look, a lot's going to depend on how quickly the economy reopens. Um, you know, we did have good numbers in the GDP last quarter, but of course, you're starting from a very low level. Uh, so it's not surprising that the economy is growing, but it is going to be in the hundreds of billions again. And I would be very surprised, you know, the estimates for the federal budget were in the hundred billion dollar range next year. I would be I would not be surprised to see that number uh, be significantly higher. Because I do think, uh, you know, a lot's going to depend on the next couple of months and, and whether things open up or whether there are, you know, variants that are going to cause us the same sort of groove we saw over the last year. But we're looking at hundreds of billions of more. And that means, unfortunately, that we're in for some uh, tough times ahead when it comes to uh, spending cuts from government. 
Right. Woe to us if uh, if the interest rates tick up a point or two. We're in deep, deep trouble. Well, absolutely. And anyone who has a mortgage will understand this, right? I mean, if you've got a mortgage at 2% and if you're uh, a little longer in the tooth and you remember what mortgage rates were like back in the 80s and 90s, I mean, people were paying 15, 20% on a mortgage. Today, you know, you get two or 3%, but if they start to creep up, you know, that really makes a big difference. And you can imagine if it costs, if it makes a big difference on a, you know, a house you've spent a million dollars on, imagine the cost when you're carrying a trillion dollars in debt. Well, I hope uh, listeners are absolutely alarmed, uh, shocked and dismayed by what they're hearing. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Richard. Aaron Woodrick, Director of Domestic Policy at uh, the McDonald Laurier Institute, co-authors of this study. Again, showing Canada spent $624.2 billion on pandemic initiatives to date. When we come back, fact check this. Google's head of diversity, an anti-Semite? Well, you decide. I'll have that for you next. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right, welcome back. So get this. Google's head of diversity strategy is uh, under fire over a 2007 blog post in which he wrote that Jews have, quote, an insatiable appetite for war and killing and an insensitivity to people's suffering. This, again, is Google's head of diversity. Uh, Camo Bob is his name. He made the comments in a November 30th, 2007 post titled, quote, if I were a Jew, when he was a research associate in technology at Georgia Tech, the Washington Free Beacon is reporting. In it, uh, Mr. Bob describes how he believed Jews should view the Middle East conflict as he assailed Israel's actions in Gaza and Lebanon all the t- at the time. He, uh, again, he said, if I were a Jew, I would, be in co- I would be concerned about my insatiable appetite for war and killing in defense of myself, he wrote. Self-defense is undoubtedly an instinct. Uh, but it would be, a f- but I would be afraid of my increasing insensitivity to the suffering of others. My greatest torment would be that I've misinterpreted the identity offered by my history and transposed spiritual and human compassion with self-righteous impunity. And uh, Bob, a graduate of Midwood High School in Brooklyn, slammed the Israeli government, argued that Jews should be tormented by the country's actions and said Jewish suffering, particularly the Holocaust, should theoretically give them more human compassion. Uh, there you go. That's Google diversity strategy head, uh, Mr. Camo Bob. And uh, apparently a bit of his uh, anti-Semitism is showing. All right. Now, George Carlin, a great uh, one of the great philosophers, I think, of the uh, of the 20th century and one of my favorite stand up comedians. He passed away back in 2008, uh, but uh, not before recording this uh, stand-up routine that really speaks to what's happening today. Have a listen. Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing. Germs. 
Where did this sudden fear of germs come from in this country? Have you noticed this? The media constantly running stories about all the latest infections, salmonella, E. coli, hantavirus, bird flu, and, and Americans are, they panic easily, so now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous, and it goes to ridiculous lengths. In prisons, before they give you a lethal injection, they swab your arm with alcohol. It's true. It's true. It's true. Well, well, they don't want you to get an infection. And you can see their point. Wouldn't want some guy to go to hell and be sick. It would take a lot of the sportsmanship out of the whole execution. Fear of germs. Why these f- Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen, so listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're weak and you got a weak immune system. Let me tell you a true story about immunization, okay? When I was a little boy in New York City in the 1940s, we swam in the Hudson River, and it was filled with raw sewage, okay? We swam in raw sewage, you know, to cool off. And at that time, the big fear was polio. Thousands of kids died from polio every year. But you know something? In my neighborhood, no one ever got polio. No one, ever. You know why? Because we swam in raw sewage. It strengthened our immune systems. The polio never had a prayer. So, and you know something? In spite of all that so-called risky behavior, I never get infections. I don't get them. I don't get colds. I don't get flu. I don't get headaches. I don't get upset stomachs. And you know why? Because I got a good, strong immune system, and it gets a lot of practice. There you go. The late, great George Carlin. And uh, some, uh, some words to live by, I think. All right. When we come back, uh, another segment of Fact Check This, we're going to talk about or uh, I'm going to let you hear uh, from a Dr. Stephen Smith. He's um, uh, an infectious specialist, a physician talking about his latest study on hydroxychloroquine. That's right. You thought you heard the last of that? Well, you're mistaken. Back with more in a minute. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 a.m. Hey, Richard Serrett here, along with Dr. Cass Ingram, author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, let's talk about a product my family and I have been using for years, the Oregano P73 for immune support. That's a good one. That's going to be mountain-grown wild oregano up to 12,000 feet, then extracting that with steam. And that's the most powerful germ killer known in immune support. So if there's one thing you got to do, it's the Oregano P73, and boom, you get the benefits. And what are some of the benefits? Well, you've got the bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungus. Knock those down. Immune system, white blood cells, more active. And you can take this every day just so you don't get sick. Why not? One product, one big benefit. Thanks, Cass. North American Urban Spice Oregano P73 available in local health food stores across the GTA. Or you can order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L oregano.com 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right, welcome back. So, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci's leaked email, he was a proponent of hydroxychloroquine. He believed, at least early on, that it might be effective in battling COVID. And of course, it's not been uh, approved, although it's been around for a very long time. It's been used uh, as an anti-malarial. It's been used to treat uh, everything from migraine headaches to lupus, but, uh, but it's been banned for treating COVID-19. Well, Dr. Stephen Smith is an infectious disease specialist. He's the founder of the Smith Center for Infectious Diseases and Urban Health in the U.S. He was recently on the Ingram Angle, that's Laura Ingram's program on Fox, talking about yet another study that he's done. Now, get this. He says up to 100,000 lives could have been saved had the experts not dismissed hydroxychloroquine. Now, remember, the United States, over half a million deaths, uh, half a million people have died from or with COVID-19. Dr. Smith says 100,000 lives could have been saved had the experts, quote unquote, not dismissed it. Have a listen to this. It's a scientific vindication that many of us have been waiting for. Renowned infectious disease expert, frequent guest of this show, Dr. Stephen Smith, has finally released his exhaustive review of how hydroxychloroquine treats COVID. He's here to explain it. Remarkable. Infectious disease doctors are not familiar with hydroxychloroquine, which is not a traditional antibiotic. It affects the host cell metabolism, and I, I, I know it's effective, so I'm not going to say I think it's effective. I know it is from our data. And now, over a year later, we have that data that Dr. Stephen Smith promised. In a new study, Smith and three other medical experts prove what he and his this show have been telling you for more than a year, that hydroxychloroquine can save lives. Smith's landmark study followed 255 COVID patients who required intubation during the first two months of the pandemic. And it found that increased doses of co-administered hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin were associated with a greater than 100% increase in survival. Here now, Dr. Stephen Smith, founder of the Smith Center for Infectious Diseases and Urban Health. Dr. Smith, uh, why were so many people so quick to dismiss what you were seeing with your own eyes and your own experience early on? There was a lot of fear. I mean, obviously there was strange political reasons that I'll never understand. Uh, again, back to those comments, you know, infectious disease doctors were in charge of deciding how much hydroxychloroquine to give for how long. The early reports of how much to give were, were very low. The early suggestions based off of pharmacokinetic studies, very, very low, 2,400 milligrams over five days. 
And I turned to our pharmacist, Steve Smoke at St. Barnabas, and I said, I got people that are literally more than four times difference in weight. One or both groups getting the wrong dose. And so I started reading it. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Owl and colleagues came out with their regimen, which is still not a high dose. I always say higher dose because it's not a high dose of hydroxychloroquine. It's 6,000 milligrams over 10 days. That's nothing compared to what any lupus patient or any rheumatoid arthritis patient takes because, they, one, that, that daily dose is not particularly high. But two, more importantly, the drug builds up for 200 days. So you know, you're taking 400 a day, which is, you know, say, a lower dose. You pass 600 to 6,000 way you know, by 20 days easily, and you keep going up higher in the tissue. Right, but Dr. Smith, I mean, people watching, they don't understand the dosage. I mean, that's yeah. that's very yeah. in the weeds, but it's it's critical, yeah. obviously. But today, tonight, are you able to use hydroxychloroquine with any COVID patients that may still be coming in? No. Uh, the hospital where we see patients, St. Barnabas, Medical Center in Livingston, uh, I guess with the system-wide thing, we have several hospitals, they banned the use of hydroxychloroquine in December for an indication, meaning if you're going to use it for COVID, you can put anyone on hydroxychloroquine if you think they have lupus, that's fine. If I Even if I decided I thought hydroxychloroquine worked just to treat migraines, I could use it for that too. Yeah. That was a unique ban in American medicine where they banned a drug by indication. Now, how many lives do you think could have been saved had people I, had an open mind about hydroxychloroquine? That, you know, I, I, I struggle with that when I try really just not to think about it. Our numbers were staggering. I, they're, they're really not our numbers. They're the, the only of this cohort of 255 patients required ventilation and intubation. Only less fewer than 20% are mine, or are my teams. So these results reflect uh, the entire group, the whole hospital's uh, results. And, okay, well, uh, we not- lost 500,000 patients. Uh, we, we lost over 500,000 Americans, 550,000 yeah. Americans. I mean, are we talking we could have saved 10,000 lives? No, more than that, man, a lot more. 100,000? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, or I hate to say things like that, but yes. I mean, the data, the data you know, I, I just try and look at the data, and uh, these data, the study was not really just a hydroxychloroquine study by any means. We looked at everything. We looked at every medicine ever given, every lab value, every vital sign. We looked at prior visits to doctors, but hydroxychloroquine kept coming up and it, and it was it was a cumulative dose that was associated with outcome, not just whether you got some hydroxychloroquine it's, like some of the studies. <laughs> this, I mean, this is, out, I mean, outrageous doesn't begin to describe this. Criminal, yeah. I don't even think captures it. What, what has happened here? All right. That was Dr. Stephen Smith, an infectious disease specialist on uh, Laura Ingram's uh, program, The Ing- Angle. 100,000 lives, he says, could have been saved had hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin uh, been administered uh, as a treatment. So there you go. Staggering. Absolutely staggering. A new study from a French physicist which examined 423,000 years of the ice core record shows CO2 changes lag behind temperature changes by as much as 7,000 years. Is this a final nail in the coffin for the man-made global warming narrative? We'll find out. Tony Heller from realclimatechange.com joins me next. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 
All right, welcome back. So a new study on ice cores appears to invalidate CO2-driven global warming. On Wednesdays, of course, we push back against climate change alarmism, and we're joined by Tony Heller, founder at realclimatechange.com. Hey, Tony, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. So uh, help us understand this study. This French physicist is looking at the ice core records throughout the last 420,000 years or so. And uh, basically, what did he find? Well, this really isn't anything new. I mean, this is something which um, actual scientists have understood for, you know, for a very long time. Um, It's that Al Gore made a fundamental mistake um, back in the 1980s, around 1990, when he started getting really crazy about this global warming stuff. He saw records from the Antarctic ice cores, which showed that temperature changes over the past um, 600,000 years, which are have shown ice ages and warm periods in between the ice ages. There's been like five cycles of that. Um, showed that carbon dioxide and the temperature of, of the ice correlated fairly well, that when, um, when carbon dioxide was going up, temperature was going up as well, and when carbon dioxide was going down, so was temperature. And so we interpreted that as meaning that the changes in carbon dioxide were driving the changes in temperature. Um, and, and it's been known for a long time that, that that's not what the relationship is. It's the exact opposite. It's when it's when the temperature of seawater rises from the oceans outgas carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and when the temperature falls, then the oceans absorb more carbon dioxide. See, so you have this relationship between the two, but Al Gore is putting the cart before the horse. It was the temperature that was driving the carbon dioxide levels rather than the other way around. And, it, and I, I, my undergraduate degrees in geology, this is one of the first things they teach geology students because it's very important for how rocks like limestone and corals are formed. Um, and, and everyone, just about everyone's familiar with this because if you open up a warm beer, a lot of foam comes out of it. That's carbon dioxide foam coming out. And it doesn't happen with a cold beer. And the reason is because carbon dioxide is more soluble in cold water than it is in warm water. So we're all familiar with this. This, this isn't really anything new. But but unfortunately, the, the climate alarmists have stuck with Al Gore's misinterpretation because it brings lots of money. And so this guy, this study that you're referring to is just one more example. The guy went and looked at the records and showed that the changes in um, um, carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere come a- after the changes in ocean temperature rather than the other way around. Right. So in other words, in other words, temperature, temperature, whether it's rising or, or falling is a lagging, Indicator first comes the rise in carbon dioxide levels, and no, then no, no, it's, no, it's the other way around. Oh. It's the other way around. The change in temperature comes first, and then the change in carbon dioxide levels comes after that. Ah, okay. So right. So temperature rises, let's say, and then right. about seven thousand years later, at least according to these ice core records, then you get an increase in the CO two. 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about the seven thousand years, but but the the, the key point I, I know that they mentioned that in the study. But the key point is that it's the changes in temperature that drive the changes in CO two over the last six hundred thousand years, rather than the other way around, which is how Al Gore misinterpreted. It got the Nobel Prize for it and drove the whole world insane over it. But it's right, just right. a fundamental misinterpretation of the data. How, how could they get it so wrong? Temperatures rise and then that that increases CO2 levels, not the other way around. That's pretty that's a pretty fundamental mistake. Well, there's a huge amount of money involved in this, Richard, right? This is a multi-billion or maybe even a multi-trillion dollar scam they've got going on. And as we all know, fact, when it comes to money, facts don't make any difference, right? They, they've, they've got a way to fool the public. And if you go into the, the National Center for Atmospheric Research Museum in Boulder, Colorado, they have that graph very prominently displayed. And if you read the text carefully, you realize that they're not actually trying to claim that the carbon dioxide changed the temperature, but but they also don't say anything against that theory. And what they're trying to do is deceive people because it brings a lot of money into the institution. If they told the truth about this, the whole scam would, you know, disappear quickly. But uh, but you know, money makes people dis- a lot of people very dishonest, and and it's not about science. <laughs> so. Well, clearly not. I mean, uh, this this would seem to be a slam dunk. I mean, this should be uh, the final nail in the coffin for the man-made global warming narrative. But clearly, uh, you know, based on past experience, this will be largely ignored and will will continue to uh, hype up uh, climate change alarmism. Yeah, well, this is. This is actually not new. I mean, people have done lots of studies like this in the past, very similar studies, and they've been ignored. Um, they, you know, they get censored, they get ignored. But there's, it's just—it's really basic chemistry that warmer water holds less carbon dioxide, so it outgasses the carbon dioxide. And like I said, you know, I studied geology 45 years ago. This was one of the first things they taught us because it's critical to um, formation of sedimentary rocks is the understanding of that relationship. So right, it's, it's pretty, yeah. 
it's stunning with the fraud behind all this. Yeah, that's exactly the word. The fraud is 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 stunning. It is, uh, and so bold. Uh, Tony, uh, again, thanks so much for your time. Realclimatescience.com. Uh, I encourage people to visit that website. Realclimatescience.com. Tony posts there regularly, and his uh, tremendous uh, videos uh, can be found at newtube.com. Newtube.com. Thank you so much, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Richard. All right, we will talk again next week. Tony Heller, realclimatechange.com. Hour two awaits. Uh, Jay Cameron, litigation director for Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. They're in court today trying to overturn the federal government's ridiculous mandatory hotel quarantine rule. And uh, also in our, uh, our, our feature guest segment, Linda Blade will be here, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial are destroying sport. Hour two awaits. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. You know, the day's almost done, and uh, by my uh, observation, still crickets uh, from the mainstream media media, uh, on the Anthony Fauci leaked emails, 800 pages of uh, leaked emails. Well, they weren't leaked, I guess. They were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. And uh, showing a lot of the correspondence between Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's highest paid bureaucrat. You know, he makes more than the president of the United States. Did you know that? Uh, And uh, seems to be enjoying the limelight. So these emails, much of it was correspondence between him and uh, his counterpart in communist China. Also, he was receiving like a thousand emails a day from everyone from celebrities to Democrats, Republicans, uh, people in the military, uh, everyone was in a panic. You know, one email, someone was asking him whether they could catch COVID from a corpse. And uh, in another email, Fauci admitted that masks are not effective. And I mean, let's face it, we've known for some time that uh, most of the masks that you buy in a store, it's like trying to stop a mosquito with a chain link fence. That's just the reality. This is not controversial. And and Fauci basically reiterated that. And also, perhaps one of the most telling emails, Fauci talks about his concern that this virus has the fingerprints of a man-made virus. He's concerned about that. Uh, So, again, crickets from the mainstream media. In fact... His remember circle back Jen Psaki, his press secretary. She's always I'll circle back. I'll have to circle back. I'll have to get back to you on that. Circle back Jen Psaki, the press secretary, didn't take one question. From the media today, the White House press corps on these emails, it's absolutely staggering. Anyway, perhaps we'll uh, we'll have more on that for you tomorrow. Uh, Jay Cameron will be with us this hour, the litigation director with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And uh, yesterday they were in court along with uh, some lawyers and uh, I believe Rebel News as well. And uh, they are 
basically trying to uh, fight back against the controversial government rules requiring air travelers arriving in Canada to book a non-refundable stay at a government authorized quarantine hotel. Anyway, so that rule, uh, that ridiculous rule is under legal fire and uh, judicial scrutiny. Uh, that was at a trial yesterday, challenging the constitutionality of the COVID-19 control measures. And again, we'll have uh, the litigation director from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms on just in about 15 minutes time. Linda Blade, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. And uh, that's a little too hot to handle for uh, for most uh, of our colleagues in the mainstream media. But we'll, we're delighted to have Linda back on the program. All right. Before all of that, it's time for news, not in the news. news. All right, Lou, I know this is uh, this is in the news, obviously, but uh, I'll ask about you about about it anyway. So no in-person learning for students for the rest of the year. Any surprise there from you? I think you're on mute. I think you've been muted, sir. Again. There you go. Again. Though the, Lou is bound and gagged and they've tied him to a chair, won't you please come to Chicago just to sing? In a land that's known as freedom, how can such a thing be fair? Won't you? Okay, that's enough of that. I think you uh, muted that on purpose so that you had an excuse to sing that. Well, you know, I, I love to sing. I don't sing well, but I, I'm not one of those people embarrassed to sing. I know. You know, you and I went to a ball game one time. Uh, you, you you showed up in your straw boater, which I thought yeah, was yeah. very impressive. Do you remember well, this? Yeah, well, it's kind of a throwback to the old days of right. baseball. And you were you were blaring out the Star Spangled Banner because I think the Jays were playing the Yankees. So we went to the game, and uh, you were the only one singing. And you just you were like totally patriotic and unabashed about it, and uh, very impressive. Well, you know, I I was uh, I grew up in New York City. And uh, the school that I went to, the elementary school, that was it. You, you know, it was the Pledge of Allegiance, the, uh, you know, the national anthem and all that. That was uh, very much in vogue. You did it every morning, right? And when, you, when you're watching the ball game or the hockey game at home, do you stand up and sing, out the, sing the national anthem? You know, I just don't do that anymore. I just don't have that much interest. I, I don't mind going to a ball game or a hockey game with a bud, like going with you, right? right? And you probably remember that game because you probably didn't watch a lot of the game as I was talking your ear off, right? Well, that's it's an excuse to get together. That's all. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's a fun excuse, you know, and I used to do it at Shea Stadium with the Mets and Yankee Stadium with the uh, Yankees. And now, you know, the Blue Jays with my buddy Richard, you know, it's fun. Apparently, we're going to have to go down to Buffalo to do that because that's the new home of the Jays. And I'm starting to think this might be permanent. Are you going to uh, be smuggling me into the U.S.? I, I didn't realize people could leave Canada. Well, we could fly down, I suppose, and then we'd have to, <laughs> we, could, we could drive back, maybe. I don't know. So back to the, uh, yeah. the announcement today from Premier Ford. Now, who exactly now is he listening to? Because uh, uh, Dr. Williams, who's leaving the post in Thank June 25th. Goodness. Yes, except... Apparently, he ran afoul of the premier because he said schools should be open. A number of top public health officials are telling him this. Uh, scientists are telling them this. Other stakeholders are telling him this. And yet he's saying, no, the risk is too great. So I guess he's basically confirming what many of us suspected for a long time. It's the teachers union and unions that run this province. 
Well, they certainly have a, a, a significant influence, but from a logistics point of view, effectiveness and efficiency, how many school days are left between now and the end of the semester? Not bloody many. So I say you've already blown off 98% of the curriculum, continue to do so, like wrap it up. It's not worth dragging anybody in to do any of that. Well, for another three or four weeks, the kids, for their mental health, Lou, for their mental health, let them go, let them see their their, their classmates, let them, uh, you know, attend gym class. Uh, I know it's not a lot, but it's something. How about it's this, something. Richard? If you, if you care about the kids, open up the parks, the playgrounds, let, you know, let people know, hey, you know, you don't have to go to school, but you can get together with your friends in the neighborhood, which they haven't been doing either. So, you know, I, you know. I just think that we've gone too far to uh, think that opening for the last 16 days. I mean, you know, you know what happens in these last few weeks of June, right? Here comes the movie brigade. Right. It's pizza time. Exactly. It's pizza time and movies. It's like walk away. Well, you're you're right. It's probably too late to affect much uh, good. But just I'm just. To me, it just reinforces what a complete clown posse we have up there at Queens Park. And, you know, for him to say out loud that I can't go against the scientists because that would be political suicide. Uh, and then now, obviously, he's going against the scientists because the teachers unions are really pulling the, pulling the shots. He's here. a dead man walking. OK, I'm willing to say right here, right now, he will not run or he will not be elected. Oh, you think he'll actually he'll step aside. He will not run. No, I think, you know, if you look at the history of the Conservative Party of Ontario, you know, they're like the Brutus crowd, right? The knives come out. Yes, yeah, the, the knives of March. come out and they sta- stab him in the back, just like Patrick Brown, right? They sent All a right. torpedo his way. All right, mark that down on your calendars. June 2nd at 5.11 p.m., Lou Skeezus predicts Doug Ford will not stand for re-election. All right, we will see. So we will I, see. I sent this story to you yesterday. This is kind of a fun thing. Uh, we need a, a bit of a distraction and a diversion. I sent it to you yesterday. It was a video. I'm not sure even where this was. Um, might have been out on the West Coast, but um, there's a, a security camera maybe on someone's back porch pointing out into part, the backyard. Is it, is it like the residue of your pity party from yesterday with Brandon? No, no, no. Is it a this thing? No, no, no. This was a bear coming over someone's back fence. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And this person rushed out because their their little dog was in the backyard. Yeah, I saw and, uh, this. I think it was just like a teenager. They ran out and they pushed this big bear off of the back fence, back down into the ravine or wherever it came from to protect their dog. And they scooped up the dog and ran inside the house. I just thought, wow, that's impressive, taking on a bear. So I thought to myself, would Lou do that to save Sebastian? Yeah, no. No, I just called to him from the porch. Come on, Sebby, come on, leave him alone. <laughs> leave him alone, come on, Seb, <laughs> leave that bear alone. So you wouldn't throw yourself between the bear and your uh, your little pooch? I might throw something at the bear, but it wouldn't be myself, okay? If I could find a rock, a stick, a twig, you know, something, but no. I mean, come on, Richard, that's insane. Well, I don't know. Some people are pretty crazy about their dogs. They're they're willing to risk Those life and limb. Those are the same people that jump into the river to save the dog. They drown. The dog doggy paddles to shore, and everybody's saying, "Oh, what a tragedy! What a hero!" Yeah, yeah. Better a dead coward, uh, a live coward, than a dead hero, Richard. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all right. Uh, I spoke with 
Aaron Woodrick from the McDonald Laurier Institute. They were co-authors of the study. Canada has spent all levels of government $624 billion to date on pandemic initiatives. That amounts to a billion and a half a day. That's more. That's like three times as much as we spent during all of World War II. That's adjusted for inflation. I mean, that's that's just staggering. What do you think? Well, my question is, you know, how much did the McDonald Laurier pay for that report? Because somebody had asked me that same question, I don't know, four or five, six months ago. And, you know, I did a quick calculation and said, no, uh, this is far in excess of what was spent in World War II. Inflation adjusted, right? So you called it. Oh, it's not that hard to do research. I don't know what they paid, you know, to get their report, but... You know, you could do a quick, you know, use the the Google machine. I don't know if you're familiar with that. <laughs> I have heard of the Google yeah, machine. Yes. Yeah, yes. And put that to work and got the answer. So am I surprised that they spent a ton of money greasing their friends? No. You know, is it the same as World War II? I hope not. I would like to think that all of the you know procurement for the government and all the lives lost was not uh, simply to grease a bunch of political uh, hacks, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, what do we have to show for it? I mean, did, did it save lives? I think not. Did it cost well, lives? Probably. Well, it might bring about some kind of change, Richard. Like, you know, you see uh, Dr. Useless there that got punted off the Ontario uh, Medical uh, Committee of Stupidity. Right. Dr. <laughs> that, that, that's its official name, actually. I, I have no idea what it is, but I know that they had no credibility. They did replace him with the medical director from Kingston, who did an outstanding job just plying his trade and, you know, putting a, a cordon around the long term care facilities. And, oh, look, look, it's getting, Jody. We're it's getting Jody. the hand signals. That's oh it. My Wrap God, it up. I'm, getting, I'm getting hooked. I'm getting hooked. See you, Richard. <laughs> Okay, we'll talk tomorrow, pal. All right. <laughs> he, he did. He got the hook. She dragged him right out of there by his hair. All right. Uh, when we come back, Jay Cameron, litigation director, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, fighting these unconstitutional hotel quarantine mandates. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Controversial government rules which require air travels arriving in Canada to book a non-refundable stay at government authorized quarantine hotels are under legal fire and a judicial scrutiny at a trial challenging the uh, constitutional uh, constitutionality of the COVID-19 control measures. And uh, we're waiting to uh, be joined by Jay Cameron, who is the litigation director for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Uh, they are uh, one of the groups that are appearing in federal court, or they did yesterday, actually. This took place yesterday, a federal court, and uh, trying to overturn uh, the uh, the hotel quarantine rule. Now, I have a, a niece, recently came back uh, from overseas, and this is when I learned that you actually had to pre-book. You had to pre-book your stay, a three-day stay. And so imagine this, you uh, you get a, a, a negative test before you get on the plane, and that's not good enough, apparently. The negative test isn't good enough. So you land in Canada, and now you have to have another negative test. And so while you're waiting for the results of your test, you have to stay in a, uh, a, uh, an approved quarantine hotel out, out by the airport here in Toronto. I think it was the Marriott where she stayed. Not a bad hotel. 
but the, the price for three days was, it was around, I think, $1,100 she had to pay. Non-refundable. Now, get this. Get this. She got her negative test uh, result back after 13 hours. 13 hours. But she's still on the hook to pay for the entire three days. And then, and then to add insult to injury, after spending eleven, twelve hundred dollars or whatever it was for, for what would have been a 13-hour stay in a hotel, you still have to quarantine even with a negative test for another 14 days. This is absolutely absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And so the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, uh, I think it was back in March, they were seeking an injunction on behalf of, I think there were 11 travelers who had to travel overseas for family emergencies to attend to a sick relative and so forth. And yet they were still being subjected to this hotel quarantine. Uh, and so they sought this emergency injunction, which they were not granted, but they were back in court uh, again yesterday. And uh, hopefully we'll be joined by Jay Cameron, again, litigation director for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And uh, we'll find out, uh, you know, whether there's a chance that this is going to be overturned, not just for these 11 individuals who they're representing, these 11 travelers, but for the rest of us. I believe we do now have uh, Jay Cameron, litigation director, with us uh, from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Jay, welcome. How are you? We have Jay there. I think, oh, he's just connecting now and he's on mute. All right, let's try again. Jay, I think you're on mute. We have Jay. Richard, can you hear me? I can, Jay. Welcome. How are you? Jay Cameron, can you hear me? Richard, can you hear me now? I'm good. I, I, I'm sorry for uh, the delay. I'm here. Thanks for. My pleasure. Okay. So yesterday you appeared, you were in uh, federal court. Now, uh, I was mentioning earlier that I think it was back in March, your organization was seeking uh, an emergency injunction on behalf of these travelers who had to travel abroad for uh, family emergencies. And I think you're on mute again, if you could unmute your, uh, your microphone. There you are. Uh, so they, you were denied that emergency injunction. What's different this time? What, how is this different? The test is different. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So in an injunction application, the onus is on the applicant to establish their case to, to meet the, it's called the tripartite test from RJR uh, McDonald. And so the onus is entirely on the applicants. And so 
conditions favor the government on an injunction application, whereas on a charter application, on a hearing on the merits, the applicants uh, only have to show that there's a breach. And then the onus switches to the government to show that it's justified. And we know that there's a breach uh, because, you know, clearly there's a there's a, a Section 7 breach. There's there's issues regarding a right to counsel. Uh, a right to be informed of what it is that you've done, uh, not to be arbitrarily detained or arrested, uh, a right to a bail hearing. All of those things are are infringed. Um, you know, and plus you have you have arbitrary detention under Section Nine. Uh, we argue as well, and so the onus has shifted to the government to show that what it is doing uh, is justifiable. And the government is going to have a very difficult time doing that because their actions are very are very arbitrary. You have different treatment of people who test positive within the country uh, for COVID. So, example, uh, if you, for example, if you test positive inside of the country, uh, you quarantine in your own house. So, these people who are coming back into the country, uh, they have been rigorously screened at airports. They have a negative PCR test. They are asymptomatic. Right. And we know that, that asymptomatic uh, transmission is very, very rare from the data. And so you have all of these things in their favor. And if 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 those circumstances were reproduced from within the country, those people would just go to their house and quarantine. All right. Uh, they've tested already. They've tested negative. And so the onus is on the government to show that these measures that, you know, that it's that it's it's uh, it's necessary uh, in accordance with law in a non-arbitrary fashion for these people to, to be whisked off to federal isolation facilities against their will at their own expense when they could just go home. And, and that was the system that was in place before the federal government implemented this ill-advised and very oppressive policy. So if the court were to rule in your favor in this case, would that, would that only affect those particular uh, travelers that whom you're representing or would it overturn the, the hotel quarantine uh, regulation in its entirety for everyone. Yeah, it would overturn it for everybody. We've asked for declarations for some of our clients that their Section 7, Section 9, Section 10, 11 rights were infringed. Uh, and so that is one component of what we've asked for. But what one, one of the other things that we've asked for is it is an order stopping the uh, the forced confinement of Canadians against their will in these facilities. When do you expect to hear back? We expect to hear a decision relatively quickly on this. The evidence has been before the court for a while, and I think the federal court wants to fast track this. In addition, Richard, you know, you probably heard that uh, that there is a panel report from the government's own coronavirus um, uh, uh, team, their panel. And, and they recommend against continuing with this with this measure. And uh, and so it's going to be interesting. And that evidence is before the court. Right. Right. I mean, they just admitted the federal government, that is, they can't even account for how many people may have caught covid in the hotels. Yeah, that's right. And you have and you have other problems as well. Right. Like you have security problems. You have people who have been sexually assaulted because the government has seen fit in its infinite wisdom to put people in rooms and then take the locks off the doors. So, I mean, there's been incidents where people have been assaulted by other people who have been confined in these places. Uh, and then you have you know, you have a lot of people who are just saying, look, we're not doing this. 
Yeah, uh, it's, this is, it's, a cl- it's, it's a clown show from beginning to end, no question. Uh, Jay, uh, I, I hope we can uh, stay in touch when we get a ruling and talk to you again. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Richard. Take care. Jay Cameron, Litigation Director, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. Back with more in a moment. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, well, this is no bull. The face of female sports is changing. Radical gender activists are using a pseudoscientific theory of human biology to hijack sports and subvert the long-established concepts of fair play, forcing women and girls to risk their safety, pushing them aside for male athletes using the excuse of inclusivity. Anyone who questions the dogma risks being branded as transphobic and having their social and professional lives canceled. In the new book, Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport, former Canadian track champion Linda Blade and renowned national post columnist Barbara Kay examine the dangers of gender ideology in sports. Linda Blade is with us. She's a co-author, as I say, also Cosbar's representative on women's sports and president of Athletics Alberta. She has a PhD in kinesiology. Linda, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, Richard, I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, we've Good. got a, a train passing in the background. So <laughs> such are the okay. vagaries of live radio. <laughs> there you go. So when we talk about this, this uh, pseudoscientific theory that is being uh, offered up by uh, radical gender activists, just kind of uh, walk us through it. Uh, what is their argument that, uh, that, that sex and gender are two different things? And I mean, how, how are they arguing that, that biological males deserve to participate in, in female sports? Well, Richard, I've been trying to figure that out for the last three years, ever since I became aware of it in 2018 at an Athletics Canada meeting. Uh, you know, it was a national meeting of all the sports organizations or the, the branches of track and field. And, you know, frankly, uh, when they said that, uh, you know, it's really just a human rights issue, then I realized that it kind of was pseudoscientific because it's actually profiling some sort of legal, sociological thing. Uh, that they want to maybe try on instead of an actual biological reality. I don't know. So are there actual, uh, you know, scientists uh, who study human biology that actually, you know, have, have, have studied this, have they've, they've written reports, they've written studies, peer-reviewed studies that yeah. back up this, what we'll call pseudoscience? They, they don't have any scientific study. There was one study that a um, uh, uh, trans-identified male runner, Joanna Harper, uh, who has, of course, transitioned. Um, that person did a study showing eight runners, like before and afterwards, uh, before transition, after transition. And it looked like with uh, hormone therapy, certainly their hemoglobin went down to female level. Some of their performances dropped, but it was only uh, N of eight, eight number, eight, eight subjects. And then for some crazy reason, the International Olympic Committee took that study, which was very is very unscientific and basically used that as the premise to change the Olympic um, guidelines for all female athletes across the world in every sport based on just a couple runners like it just. <laughs> There was something so bizarre about this, actually, Richard. I, all the other scientific studies, there was only 13 really showing, you know, what happens to strength before and after and all that. 
no studies show that if you reduce the hormones in a male, it goes down to that the performance or the strength drops anywhere close to the female level. Particularly if the transition happens after puberty, as we mm-hmm. talked about the last time. And in fact, yeah. we'll revisit that uh, topic sure. when we come back. We'll take a quick time out. Uh, uh, Linda Blade stays with us, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are de- Destroying Sport. And uh, she's Cosbar's representative on women's sports. That's Canadian women's sex-based rights. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. We are here with Linda Blade, Cosbar's representative on women's sports. That's Canadian women's sex-based rights. And uh, she's president of Athletics Alberta, also a former Canadian track champion, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial are destroying sport co-authored with national post columnist barbara k um so linda this i think came uh, really to a head recently when new zealand announced that a um a, a transgendered person laurel hubbard had i guess um was was given a spot on the uh, the women's weightlifting team she will uh, participate in uh, at the, the tokyo olympic games Um, Many of her rivals, some of her teammates are calling this a bad joke. Um, This is is this likely to set the stage for, you know, uh, is this like a one off? Are we going to see this increasingly in Olympic competitions? And could this spell the end of uh, Olympics as we know them? Well, uh, those are very good questions, uh, Richard. I, I feel that it is kind of a big joke, although. Uh, we shouldn't say that if the IOC, the International Olympic Committee itself, was quite serious in 2015, changing the regulation that would allow males to self-identify into women's sports. Uh, I think we need to take this dead seriously and um, look at, you know, if if this gentleman, who, person who was born male now identifies as a, as a woman, uh, if this person is allowed to go and weightlift with the women, uh, despite having had a year, you know, adult male puberty, like gone through puberty and, and all the advantages that come with that, um, then certainly more will join. And, and what about here in Canada? Let's say at the at the the school level, um, is there is there a concern about, let's say, uh, boys who yep. transition before puberty? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it the same? Is it the same situation? In other words, do they have an advantage in girls sports? Well, I have done research and I know about the human body pre puberty uh, because I was part of my PhD thesis. And I can tell you that the performances are not just uh, uh, different only after puberty. Uh, Little boys, for example, when I'm coaching boys and girls, little boys can do a lot more chin ups, for example, than little girls Uh, The running and jumping about the same sometimes, Um, but for some reason, the way the upper body is built in in boys, even with the Y chromosome, there seems to be better leverage there than most little girls. So you can see a difference like in ball throw. So it depends on which part of the body you're dealing with. And if it's grappling or upper body strength, uh, underage uh, minors, the boys still have an advantage of some sort. It would seem if you look across the board. However, 
those differences, you know, expand greatly during puberty as well. So even if a person transitions before puberty, there would see be some aspects of the male body that are distinct from the female body. And, and what about uh, boys or men who simply identify as female, yeah. but haven't undergone or aren't under, currently undergoing any sort of transition therapy? Mm-hmm. Are they allowed to compete even though they are fully biologically uh, male? They haven't even you know, taken hormone treatments. Can they compete in women's sports? According to the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sport, which was, you know, is or currently the anti-doping agency, apparently in Canada, it was the one that was sort of put in place after the Ben Johnson saga. Uh, Their main concern should be about cheating in sport, like anti-doping. But suddenly this is the governing body that somehow got this ideology that it should be okay for uh, male bodies to fully self-identify without even they say without even any surgery or any hormonal treatment, just straight across the board. And what most Canadians don't realize is that this has filtered into certain organizations like U Sport, which is all across the land in Canadian university sport. If a male decides that he suddenly wants to identify as a woman, he could play hockey as a male one semester, could play basketball as a female or some other sport as a female the next semester. He can flip flop back and forth without any intervention whatsoever. That's the rule now. And let's talk a little bit about uh, safety here, because if it's a non-contact sport, then, you know, there is no not necessarily uh, Mm -hmm. a a risk of injury. But if we're talking about, let's say, for example, uh, full contact uh, karate Mm -hmm. uh, or or boxing or Mm tie boxing or any of these. Or football. Or football. Yes. (laughs) When we have a, a biological male competing against women, it's just a matter of time before someone gets injured or killed. Right. And actually, World Rugby was the first to break with the International Olympic Committee because they realized that they could be um, exposed to litigation. They realized they did all the science study and they realized that having even one male rugby player in with the other rugby, with the women, with the female players, could result in 20 to 30% increase in chance of serious injury to the neck and the spine, the head. Uh, and so they just said, look, you know, for elite rugby, we just can't have a male born person in with the females and the whole world of rugby, like the individual rugby, Canada, rugby, USA, Australia, they are all attacking world rugby as if they're somehow bigoted for saying this. It's gone nuts. Unbelievable. All right, Linda, we'll take a time out. Stay with us. We'll discuss further. Linda Blade, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after this train passes. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Linda Blade, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are destroying sport. Uh, so as you point out in the book, anyone that comes out and, and questions this radical dogma uh, risks being branded a, as transphobic. What kind of pushback are you and Barbara receiving? Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, clearly some people are upset and, and, and because they probably want to imagine that we have ill intent or that we want to exclude trans people. And We don't. I want to include everybody in sports, but I just know that there's a difference between 
uh, biological sex and gender identity. Gender identity is just one more identity, just like, you know, your religion, your politics. We don't choose uh, sport categories on the basis of your religion, on the basis of your politics, on the basis of that. Are, are you a mother or a father? All these different identities. We want to have people compete with their bodies in the right sex based categories. So therefore, we, we have a way of including everybody. Now, the main uh, press are just ignoring it. They don't want to talk to us at all because they know, I think, there is this common human understanding that we are right, but they don't want to have to confront the difficult discussion that we're that we're proposing here. Right, right. Right. Well, I don't, I, it's not really that difficult a discussion, I, I don't think. Uh, well, they I'm seem not, to think so. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm we're not, not getting anybody asking any questions. And yet this book is, you know, one number one, as you said, within five hours of release, this book or launch, this book has gone to number one in Canada on Amazon. And yet you'd think, you know, there'd be curiosity about what's going on here. And we have zero, zero blackout. What about you, uh, your uh, president of Athletics Alberta? Um, are you at odds with... The members there. No, uh, I am so proud of my association because two years ago, actually three years ago, when I first found out about this, I literally campaigned like I had to renew my presidency and I literally explained my situation or my position to them. And I said, if you don't want me to speak for you as your president, do not support me. Do not vote for me because this is what I'm going to be saying in public. And I got 96 percent support. Uh, The coaches the parents, so many people privately and quietly would like me to stand up for sex-based categories to protect the girls, obviously. I mean, it's not going to hurt the boys if a girl goes into a boys race, but it's certainly going to hurt the girls if a boy comes into the girls race. Are there any documented cases here in Canada of a female athlete being injured uh, while in competition with a transgendered person? Yeah, we have documented cases in sort of some of the fringe sports like uh, roller derby, for example. In my book, I talk about how the uh, trans identified males are becoming, you know, are identifying into women's uh, roller derby, for example. And, you know, the women instead of and this had happened for years, but instead of complaining because that's just what you expect to get hurt in roller derby, the women just kind of disappear. And so. These things have been going on, Richard, behind the scenes. We're not allowed to ask in a lot of cases. The new policies say you're supposed to accept self-ID, but then somehow we're also not allowed to ask. Once, they, once somebody self-IDs, we're just not allowed to ask. So it's it's really hard to get data on how widespread this is, but I'm hearing from parents that it's happening across the land. What are the other the various feminist groups across Canada, other women's groups uh, saying? Are they are they being vocal about it? Are they in uh, in alliance with you? There's two kinds of feminism going on right now. Uh, The world of the realm of women is really quite split. I have to say the intersectional feminists believe that we should accept trans identified males into sports because that sends the message that men and women are equal. But. (laughs) women like me and a lot of my my other friends who are sort of what they call them radical feminists. But I you know, I don't think they're all radical or whatever. They're just they're feminists who care about the distinction in the human bodies and that the women's human body experience is going to be different, whether it's giving birth, whether it's menstruating 
our bodies are different. It doesn't mean we're less equal or less worthy, but we're different. And if we can't, if we can't recognize that, then we're going to have the problem that's already happening. Male, like rapists going, being placed in women's prisons because they say suddenly one day I'm, I'm a woman. Um, this is happening in our country, Richard. Like, it's just unbelievable what is happening in our country. It's putting women at risk. And there's a good chunk of women. And I think there's a majority. If we really came out and asked women through, throughout Canada what they really felt, I think most women know that a woman's body is distinct from a man's, man's body. Male and female, biological basis, they're different. We can have equal rights. We can have equal respect. We can have parity in sports, same number of events, each male, female. We can have a lot of parity here. But it just doesn't help anybody to pretend like a male and female body. The only difference is like a a hormone level or something. Right. No, men and women are different. There are Mm. fundamental differences, and those differences should be celebrated. Yes. Um, not erased. Yes. So um, how do people how do people fight back against this? It's lunacy. How do people fight back? Well, in my book, I recommend in the book Unsporting, we recommend some policy um, changes, maybe some uh, like in the UK, they had the Gender Equality Act, but then they have exemptions, special exemptions in law for certain areas like sports. So, you, uh, you know, you can have self-ID to a degree. But then, like, whether it's women's shelters, let's say girls, uh, Girl Scouts, uh, sports, locker rooms, there are there are places in society, women's shelters, where it has to be female only. And that was done in the UK when they passed their equality laws. But unfortunately, Canadian politicians were so eager to get on this bandwagon, they passed Bill C-16 without incorporating those specific exemptions. All right. Uh, how do we get a copy of Unsporting? You go to unsporting.com. It's all there. Um, order the book. I think it will inform your listeners. Um, and, you know, it has a lot of good suggestions. And it actually is the solution, I think. I offer solutions where we can all include everybody, but everybody can stay safe and we can respect everybody. Well, Linda, I, I applaud what you're doing. Also to Barbara, please pass this along. Uh, I, I think you're, you're courageous and it's, it's just common sense, uh, which seems to be in, uh, in yeah. short supply these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. If you told me 20 years ago, you're going to write a book about the fact that men are different than women in sport, I would have told you you're crazy. Like, why? Why do I even have to write something like this? It's, it's nuts. Indeed. Unsporting, how trans activism and science denial are destroying sport. All right, uh, Linda, thanks. And we'll uh, talk again. Awesome. Thank you, Richard. Linda Blade is with COSBAR. That's Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. And she's the representative on women's sports, also president of Athletics Alberta. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to uh, Jody and Brandon, as always. Back tomorrow with a brand new show, The Irascible and Lovable Lou, German phrase of the day, news not in the news, and also uh, Chief Harvey McLeod of the Upper Nicola Band, a, a former resident of the Kamloops Residential School where they uh, un- discovered the remains of 215 uh, dead uh, First Nations children. We'll talk about that and. Uh, Hope you can be along for that. Four o'clock tomorrow. Don't be late. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.